If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And that was a great, um, perfect message. I don't hardly even have to preach my message. She doesn't know what I'm preaching today, by the way. Hallelujah. Title of my message is Answering the Bell. Answering the Bell. Serving Christ. All right. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Because I am your teacher and I am your Lord. Can you imagine a human being saying that to somebody? I'm your teacher and I am your Lord. (laughs) Pretty amazing. Um, The Lord of the universe is telling them this. But he had just washed their feet and he just put back on his outer garments and sat back down in his place and is, do you understand what I've just done to you by washing your feet? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you had ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And how many know, I've I've been in this, my last three sermons have been from these section of the Bible, and I have no idea why these are, this is usually a section you preach around um, the resurrection and crucifixion, and God for some reason has just put me in this area of the Bible, and this is one of the last acts of Jesus Christ before He dies. And he's trying to really explain to them how you're supposed to serve me by washing one another's feet. And and Jesus felt like this was a very profound thing because he sat down in his seat. He says, do you even understand what I just did? I'm your teacher and I'm your Lord. And I just washed your feet. And I really need you to understand what I'm doing. And you'd better, he said, you, you'd ought to wash one another's feet because of what I just did. And uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord God, for everything that you have blessed us with, Lord. Even things we perceive to be bad, Lord God. It's your hand and your will, Lord God, and we thank you. And we ask that you touch this message. Let it be you and not me. And uh, speak to us, Lord, today. Um, we just ask of you, Lord, that it would be your words, Lord, and not mine, Lord. And um, we thank you in advance, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. So be it, Lord. So the title of my message is Answering the Bell, Serving Christ. And a lot of times when we think of answering the bell, we think of a prize fight. You know, like, are you going to answer the bell in the middle of a tough fight and you're in a lot of pain, you may be a little afraid, you may have a lot of things going on, but that's not what this message is about. This message is not answering that bell, even though that's a very good message. Maybe I'll preach that one sometime. Maybe that'll be answering the bell part two. 
But uh, how many remember, um, and I'm just old enough because these ended in the 70s, but how many remember um, this sound? That sound. I know what that is. There used to be gas stations that had a pneumatic hose that went across the went across the um, where the pumps were. And some of you young ones are saying, "This is getting creepy. What is going on here? I don't know what he's talking about." Just hold on. I'm going to explain it to you. I'm just old enough. I was born in '71. Uh, most of the um, full-service gas stations ended in about uh, late 70s. You know, that's when they stopped doing full-service. There's still some around the country. You can find them, and it's probably a real joy to go in and have a full-service gas station. And, and and like I said, the young people are scratching their heads, and they're like, what is he talking about, full-service gas station? <clears throat> but in a full-service gas station, there was that bell ding, ding, and you would go across the pneumatic holes, and that hose would indicate, uh, there would be a bell to indicate somebody is parked at, by the gas pump. And as soon as the attendant would hear that ding, ding, he would jump up and say, it's ready, it's time to serve. And get this, this is going to blow your mind if you're young, you know, it's like, what's the most important thing when you have a car? You know, if you've got a car and you're maintaining it, what's the most important thing with that car? Anybody know oil? Somebody said oil. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing with him a little bit, but oil is really important, right? And how awesome would it be every time you go to get a tank of gas? If the attendant would hear that bell go ding, ding, and he would jump up, and for every person that's not skilled at doing that, every time you got a tank of gas, they would check your oil. And they would say, hey, you're a quart low. They would go get the quart of oil, and they'd put it in your car right there. I mean, I think that would be good for the maintenance of cars in America. And then what if they said, hey man, your windshield is dirty. Some people never wash their windshield. And they're, they find themselves, the sunlight hits it and there's bugs all over it, guts all over it, and they're still peeking through and trying to see through the windshield, right? Nobody does that here, right? And, and man, you say, you know what, I stopped at the gas station, put the squeegee in and it was all dry. There's nothing in there. Or you pull it out and it looks like moss. You know, is in it and it's got things, you know, growing in it. And how many have ever done that? And you're like, Oh man, I can't even wash my windows. Actually, I keep a squeegee and, uh, that's full of, uh, window cleaner with me all times because I've got burnt by not having good window cleaner at the gas station. Uh, how, how many think it'd be nice if they checked your belts? No, look at, pull the hood open, check your belts. So, you know, every person who's not skilled at that, they're checking belts, they're checking fluids, they're checking transmission fluid, they're checking oil, they're wiping your windshield off, right? And you haven't even left the seat of your car. Then they come in and they'll say, that'll be so much money, you know, and they, and they collect your payment. Well, this is what used to happen. It's called a full service station. And because in the 70s, 
um, with that administration, and it's going to hear me like, oh no, it's happening all over again. <laughs> I'm not getting into politics. But in the 70s, gas prices started to go really high. And so they said, well, there's a way we can save uh, gas on gas. We can uh, get rid of these full-service stations. And we can start doing what we're calling self-serve. How many of you know it went from full-service stations to self-serve and convenience stores? All right, man, that is so convenient. Because, you know, those, those attendants, when that ding-ding would go off, they would jump up, clean your windshield, check your oil, check your fluids, check your belts, and get this, they would also air up your tires. Don't forget that. Now we pull into the convenience store. And so we have to go inside and wait in line, right? We have to either wait for it to get done pumping or pump it again. Sometimes it's working, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you got to look at the attendant and you got to say, hey, you know, hey, my pump here, it's not on, you know, and it's all this convenience that we have around us now. And then, uh, oh, I don't have time to check my oil. It's inconvenient, so I'm not going to check my oil. Next thing you know, your car is running hot, right? And, and then you say, well, man, I don't have time to clean my window because I went in um, to Little Debbie's aisle and I had to get something, right? And then you, okay, that's just me. All right. I don't do that anymore. My wife's listening. Um, but then you're, you're like, oh, man. That one tire's got that leak in it. So you're looking for the attendant to come fill your tire up for free, right? Then you realize, oh man, this is so convenient. I owe a dollar twenty-five to get air in my tire. And you go put the quarters in, oh, I don't have quarters, and then you put the quarters in and say, Oh, out of order, it doesn't work. And so do you see how things got so convenient? When you used to just sit in your seat, they'd do all your maintenance, you know. And back then you were paying somewhere around 25 cents in the 60s for gas, up to about maybe 75 cents in the 70s, and then it started to skyrocket. And I think this is a perfect analogy for how are we living our life. What kind of serving are we doing in our life? Is it self-serve? Self-serving, which isn't a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing. How many know that in life we, um, it empties us? It empties us. We need to be filled with the Word. We need the uh, joy of going to church and being renewed. How many know that? How many have ever experienced that? Man, i got to get to church. I'm worn out. Life's been tough. I need the worship. I need the Word. And it, it sure is convenient to come in, fill up quickly, do it on my own, Get it all done, go in. There is a place for convenience stores and self-serve gas stations, right? It's not all bad, is it? But boy, it sure is nice to live the full-service Christian life, like fully serving and not just self-serve. That means when I go to church, what is my mentality? Is it all about being a consumer like, do you walk in the church and say, Chad, explain to me what your church can do for me? That's the consumer mind. And most of America has that mentality. I'm not telling you anything that's a, you know, that is a revelation. Most of the churches in America, people walk in and they say, 
I'm a consumer. What does this church offer me? And the famous line, I think it was President Kennedy said, uh, ask not uh, what your country can do for you, but ask what, what you can do for your country. And I like that. I, I really like that line, you know, what can I do for Christ? Now, obviously, we need Christ to do things for us, right? We need to get the church to be renewed and refreshed. And But you know what? I This message is not about just that pouring in, that self-filling station, right? Because if that's all church is, is a self-filling station, we're going to never complete our mission. How many agree with that? It's got to go beyond self-filling station. And please don't get me wrong. Like I said, I don't have any problem with coming in and being refreshed. But we've got to go beyond that. How many agree with that? Am I saying the truth here? We've got to go beyond filling ourselves and saying, man, what can I do to serve Christ? What can I do to reach the mission that He has for me in this life? And uh, so I want you to really think about the sound effect. Hear that? Everybody hear that? What does that mean? Like the clampets, what is that bell? Every time that bell rings, what did they say? Somebody's at the door. I'm really going retro here today. Every time that bell rings, they couldn't figure out. Somebody was at the door. I mean, no, they didn't know what a doorbell was. Where they were from, um, they just didn't know what a doorbell was. So we hear that. Ding, ding. So let's imagine you pull up at this full-service station. And, man, you go over the, your tires go over the pneumatic holes and ding, ding. Nobody comes out. You back up, you go over it again, ding, ding, nothing goes off, ding, 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 and that's annoying, that's so annoying, nobody's answering the call, Why? I thought this was a full-service station. I thought these people were serving Christ. Well, man, if they're called to serve Christ and they're saying they're serving Christ, why aren't they answering the bell? Why? And we need to get down to that reason why we're not answering the bell. And we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it because you know what? I'll get in the way. If it's me talking, I'll get in the way. And there will be a good reason not to answer that bell, and it will be because of me. But when it's the Lord of heaven and earth, and He's saying, do you understand what I'm doing to you? The Lord of heaven and earth is saying, do you understand what I'm doing to you? And He's washing Judas's feet. He's washing the disciples' feet. He's washing the feet of uh, 12 people who will all turn their back on Him within a few hours, and He knows it. He said, do you understand what I'm doing here? I'm the top of the line here. And He actually was doing the job of a, of, of a household servant. How many know that? 
The lowest servant in the house is what he was imitating there, what he was mimicking. And so we need to get to the bottom is, why are we not answering the bell? Why do we go to church? That's a question I want to know. Why do, why do we go? Is it just a self-filling station? That's a good reason. I'm not, I'm not doubting that's not a good reason. I mean, no, that's a great reason. But if we've been going for 20 years and we're still only self-filling station, we got a question, are we serving him or are we serving me? It's okay to serve you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to go by and get a Snickers and fill up your tank and, you know, get some, uh, some, you know, I'd, I'd love for a lot of you just get something to make your breath smell good. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? But we gotta go beyond that. We've gotta say, Lord, I wanna serve you. It's not just me. I'm not a self-serving station here. I wanna serve Christ. Why do we read the Bible? Is it just a self-filling station? I can truly say from the bottom of my heart, I have spent a fortune on books. Somebody say amen back there in the back. No, my wife won't. She's too quiet. I've spent a fortune on books. Not because I want to know a lot. I spend a lot of money on books because I'm almost always thinking somebody's going to ask this question and I want to have an answer. I want to simplify the answers, the questions of life, and I want to find a way to make it easy to understand. You know, I, I, I spent one day last week, the entire day from morning till evening, just answering questions about the Bible for people that don't even go here. In fact, I would say 80% of my meetings are people that don't go here. I had 11 people in one day in three different meetings that want to have a Bible study and be disciples that don't go here. It's because of the fact that when I read the Bible, it's not a self-filling station. It's to find out answers that people are asking questions to. And we can't just read the Bible. We just can't go to church. It's a good thing to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and fill yourself up. But it's a whole different thing when it's a full-service station, when you're answering the bell and saying, man, I am reading this for the good of everybody around me that has questions about the Bible, legitimate questions, and I want to give a good, efficient answer where they'll sit and want to listen to somebody that's taking the time to study for them. How many have ever studied for other people? I mean, just spent night after night after night, late into the night, early into the morning. You say, oh, brother, you're going too far now. You already went across the line, all right, right there. I'm talking about going from a self-service station to a full service. I'm in it for them now, not me. Why do we go to Bible studies? Why do we pray? Self-filling stations pray for me. Now, how many think it's an awful thing to pray for me? Not a bad thing at all. He, He commands us to pray for us. So I would expect when you're in the Lord that you would say, Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, do this in my life. Do that in my life. But man, after a while, man, it sure is good. Bob, it's good to have people that are there like, hey man, I'm here to pray for the needs of this church. Like I'm in this thing because there are so many people that are struggling right now and and I'm just here for 
to pray for other people. How many know God does everything through prayer? Everything. You have not because you ask not. You know, prayer is the only thing that puts everybody on the same level. You can be in a hospital bed. You could be in a coma. But how many know there are people that aren't able to respond to the outside world can still pray? There are people that have no function in their entire body, but they can still pray. God put everybody on the same ground. It's all through prayer. And so we got to get past the uh, self-filling station. So what's annoying is when the bell's ringing and nobody's answering it. You know, that bell would stop ringing. In fact, some of you are thinking about that bell and you remember the little brat you were when you were young. How many would go through the gas station with your bicycle? Okay, nobody did that. All right. All right, you know where this is going, right? Okay. Some kid just run through, bicycle over the, you know, bell goes off, guy runs out, everybody laughs, right? All right, he goes back inside, right over with your bicycle, guy comes out, everybody laughs, right? Okay. That can be annoying. <laughs> well, listen to this. Here's one reason we should serve. How many of you know we were created to serve? We were literally created to serve. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are His workmanship, created, we were created in Christ Jesus. By the way, this is our new birth. Our new birth in Christ Jesus, we were created for a purpose. God prepared beforehand, that we, or we were created for good works, which God prepared before, beforehand that we should walk in them. NIV says, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for God prepared them in advance for us to do. Then it says, for we are God's, now this handiwork has came from His workmanship to His handiwork. Another translation, which is probably the most accurate, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew. This is the New Living Translation. He's created us anew, which means we've been born again. For what purpose? so that we can do good things that He planned for us long ago. Then another Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this way, for we are His creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Do you see that God made a masterpiece? He made a piece of art. He created us new in Christ and has already designed us to do good works for the rest of our life. You have been designed to do work for Christ, to serve people. In fact, not only were we created a a creation, we were also gifted for that purpose. It says in 1 Peter 4.10, contemporary English version, it says, each of you have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others, so use your gift well. We were created specifically for the purpose. In fact, I can remember when I woke up to that one day. You know, your natural inclination is not to serve other people and not to do good things. And I remember waking up to that one day thinking to myself, I want to do as much good in the world as I possibly can. 
How many have ever woken up to that? You know, like, like, I exist today to do good things for God. And I want to do as much as I can to as much people as I can. And I remember thinking to myself, how come I've never had this ideal my whole life? I mean, normally you're nice to people and try to do good things to people. But never did the idea that was foreign to me to get up and say, how many good things, how many things can I put aside just to do good things to people today? And that's what God's made us a masterpiece to be in Christ. And He's given us gifts that He expects us to use um, to serve other people with. Jesus Christ really went out, in fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it again, a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, New Living Translation. Jesus modeled this. In fact, not only did He wash their feet and say, do you understand what I'm doing to you? But He also, many other places, in fact, it was one of the main things He taught. John 12, 26 says, if anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there will My servant be also. If anybody serves Me, the Father will honor him. So how did He serve? He became the lowest servant, right? Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom. Awesome. Everybody yell, freedom! Alright, now what's this freedom mean? You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. But use it to use it through love to serve one another. That's awesome. Use your freedom to love people. That means don't be so bogged down by your sins that you're not serving people. Use that freedom you have in Christ uh, over all of sin and all of your failures and all of your shortcomings. Use that freedom not to think how great you are, but to be able to say, "Hey, now I'm going to love people." Because everybody knows I'm a failure now. You understand that? Some of you understand that. Some people will sit around and say, oh, woe is me, I'm a sinner, I'm a failure. Okay, when you finally come to terms that you you are a failure and Christ is the only thing good in you, then you have freedom to serve people. You're not going to sit around and say, oh man, I'm terrible, I'm awful. Yeah, of course I am, He saved me, He's wonderful, He's awesome, He's a great Savior, so let's get to work. Why am I sitting around thinking about how bad I am? Let's start showing the world how good He is. Hallelujah. Re-listen to that recording. You'll get that. It just takes a little time. Keep re-listening to that because you'll understand freedom was given to us so we can love one another. Hallelujah. It set us free. John 13, 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than the master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's saying, if I serve the lowest, then how are you greater than me? <laughs> He's saying, you can't be greater than me. I'm already serving the lowest, so if you're greater than me, then you need to serve like I serve. Mark 9.35, and he sat down and called the twelve to him. This is going to be important. He's calling all twelve of us. And he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and he must be the servant of everybody. Well, I bet that went over well in the room where they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> Let me read it again. He sat down the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and the servant of everybody. Luke 2, 22, 27. For who is greater? I love this one. Who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one that serves him? Some of you need this before you go to lunch today. 
Because one of the joys of my life is, man, if you've ever been a person who served in lowly jobs, you appreciate waiters and waitresses so much. If you've never been humbled in your life, you treat them like garbage. But if you've ever been humbled in life and you work lowly jobs, you love those people everywhere you go, every time you go, even if they're bad at what they do, you still treat them good. But he says, who is greater? The one reclining at the table or the one who's serving you? Well, that's an obvious answer, right? The fat cat at the table is greater, right? But Jesus says, but I am among you as the one who serves. I am among you as the one who's serving, not the one reclining at the table. Wow. Harsh. Philippians 2, 1-7. I love this one. So if there is any encouragement, Philippians 2, 1-7, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Paul is saying complete my joy. What would complete your joy? Paul, what would make you happy with this church? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now a lot of you can't read that because you don't know Greek. You know what nothing means in Greek? You guys catch on really quick. I'm pretending to be a Greek scholar, but you guys are realizing I'm not, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That word nothing in the Greek means nothing. Alright? They interpreted it right, which they usually do. It means nothing. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than you. But Chad, I've got a position in the church. Are we not honoring positions anymore? When did this happen? When did these rules happen where Jesus is now saying count others more significant than you are? Pastor, I'm pretty significant. Right? I mean, isn't that what we scream to ourselves? We're, we're pretty significant. But Paul's saying this would make my joy complete if you do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count other people more significant than you. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of other people. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through the, or who though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So I want to tell you before I get into the things that keep us from serving, I want to tell you the greatest attribute to make you a servant. I want to show you that attribute. It's called humility. It's called being humble. It's called um, humbling yourself. And uh, I wanted to bring a prop in today. It's a, it's a prop that you probably don't know that I have, but how many of you know I used to be a traveling preacher? And I had a, in fact, I've got this kind of 
fancy music stand now. I don't know what to do with it because my previous pastorate, I had a movable one. And in fact, I keep it back here. Let me bring it real quick here. Wait one second. Okay, don't fall asleep on me. Yeah, there it is. That's my traveling pulpit. And you know, this is actually the original pulpit I used. And I keep it back there and I think about it a lot. But, you know, for 25 years, push that pulpit around. You know, and, and there was an epoxy floor in the building I cleaned. And I pushed it so much that that epoxy floor had worn out where my path was. Did you ever notice that? My path worn out, you know. And, and you know, 50, 60 hours a week was pretty normal and pastored for 25 years on staffs, working 100-hour weeks. You say, well, man, you finally made it. You know, I did more ministry and changed more lives with that pulpit than I've ever changed with that one. You know that? This was my traveling pulpit. I would go to the person's desk and I would change their trash. And you know what I would say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. Get right with God or you're going to die in hell. You know, you need to get in church. You need to get yourself right with God. That's never was my message. In fact, I could never remember telling a single person I was a pastor or a preacher. But do you know what every person in my buildings knew? That I was a pastor. And I would walk in and mechanics still to this day are my closest friends and they've never been to a church. But I would walk up and you know the message I would preach to them? I would pull my pulpit right up next to him. Oh no, here comes that pulpit. They never said that. They said, here's the janitor. I would say, hey, how's your son doing? He has leukemia. You know, how are you doing with the divorce? You know, how are you doing with the alcohol? Because they would talk to me. They would tell me. I counseled almost everybody in the building at one time or another. Almost everybody, because I had a traveling pulpit. And you say, well, what did you learn? And what I would tell you is that every seminary in America should have this. Because this is how you learn how to serve. See, I wanted to be a full-time pastor all those years. God said, no, no, you need to learn how to have humility. How to be humiliated and... So then God kind of worked my schedule out where I wasn't just a janitor at night where nobody would see me. I was a janitor during the day with everybody there. And I would see very good pastor friends would walk in there to get their oil changed. And they would see me walking around with this janitor's cart. And I get it. I totally understand it. You know, one thing I learned over my time, wisdom was, there's no way to look cool behind that. 
There's no way to make it play it off. It's just pure humiliation. And so I thought to myself, if I were Tom Cruise or if I were Brad Pitt or if I were, you know, one of these famous, well-known people, it doesn't matter who it is, there's two things you can't look cool on or look attractive. And that's this and a grown man on a moped. It's true. There's no way to play it off. There's almost no way to play it off. I'm sorry. I'm not being mean. I've tried. I've tried to be cool. I've tried to be sophisticated. I've tried to do different things, but I just can't, couldn't play it off. And one thing I began to recognize was which Christians had humility and which ones didn't. Which ones would serve the lowest and which one wouldn't. And I just began to notice that in people. You know, and, 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 and it's through this, pushing it for all those years and every day, seven days a week, I just begin to not care what people think. I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what other people think. I don't care what fellow pastors think. In fact, I almost get sick sometimes because I recognize so quickly the lack of humility. And I learned to serve people. I learned to uh, go to the bathroom door and the women, almost like that bell, ding, ding, Chad's standing by the bathroom door. That means we need to go inspect it and make sure nobody's in there so he can clean the toilets. I'm sorry. I, I wish I were a pastor that, you know, were, man, we don't want our pastor pushing that silly thing around. Can I tell you something? Some of you need humility. And humility comes from humiliation. We think of ourselves more highly than we should. And I learned how to minister to people behind this pulpit. I learned how to, you know, care about people through this pulpit. And um, can I tell you another thing? I had a special visitor that came to our building. You guys are going to be so excited. And I don't think she would mind me sharing this. I'm going to tell her her name or who it is, but I have a really good friend and he's been helping me on the building and he said, you know what, i got a special person I want you to show around the building if she ever comes by. I'm trying to get her to come by and see the building. Very special person. And he said, man, she just loves people. She's so humble. Loves people. She does clothing banks and different things. And and uh, she came to the building and I didn't know who she was. She walked up and I started talking to her and and then I found out who she was, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've been expecting you. Let's go through the building. And um, she didn't have any money. She was poor. And she would not mind me saying this. And I've learned over the years because of being humiliated, growing up in environments of humiliation. It brings humility. I don't mind it. I actually love it. Because I'm glad that that did more for me as a minister than anything I've ever done. It made me be thankful for it and love it and and love having humility and it makes me in a room don't gra- I don't gravitate toward people with money. I don't gravitate toward people with influence. I gravitate to the least in the room. Always. Just a natural tendency from being humiliated for years. You go to the lowest, the person who... And you know, this woman and I went through the building, and I'm not being mean, there were several people, everybody was nice to her. 
but you didn't see the room light up like when a dignitary walked in. You know what I'm saying? The rooms didn't light up like, hey, we this is the place for you. And I'm okay with that. And her and I walked out the front of the building. I gave her the grand tour, showed her everything in the building. And as we walked outside, she started crying. And she said, I don't have very much. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm poor. And she said, but I sure love people. And I said, man, I said, you're what I'm looking for. And I cried a little bit. I said, if I had a hundred people like you, I could win the world. And she just started crying and telling me how much she loved people and how much she loved serving people and how much she wanted to have a church. And she said, you know what? I can't explain this. She said, but I know you're real. We cried. Can I tell you something? We can only serve people in Christ. Because we don't have it in us. He's got to humble us. And we've got to be remade in Him. And so what keeps us from, what keeps us, what limits us from serving? Well, if humility is the greatest asset you have to serve everybody, then pride is the one that's really big and holding us back. For whatever reason, Something inside of us says, I will not lower myself. I don't know if it's who we think we are in life. I don't know if it's our position. I don't know what it is, but something inside of us says, you know what? That person is not deserving of me serving them. Stubbornness. Number two. Stubbornness is that this thing inside that says, I want to serve Chad, but I, I don't want to serve you. I'm a Pastor Rod guy. But don't go there, Chad. If you're not serving because of me, or you're serving because of Pastor Rod, now let me tell you something, you probably didn't serve Pastor Rod either. Truth be told, you served the mythological Pastor Rod, but not the real one probably. I battle both of them, you know. I love the one, the other one's a myth. And supposedly you served him too, but I'm going to bet you didn't serve there either. Because the heart is not to serve me. The heart's not to serve him. The heart is to serve the one who lowered himself as a servant and said, do you understand what I just did? And boy, I bet he washed Judas' feet better than the others. I bet he did. And he knew exactly the evil that was in that man's heart. He actually said it. I know he knew it. But stubbornness says, I refuse to serve you. And then when we refuse to serve people, what we're saying is, God, I'm stubbornly refusing you. And you say, no, I'm pretty clearly refusing you, Chad. I would disagree with that. We need to serve Christ and not me. If it's me, it won't last. If it's Pastor Rod, it won't last. If it's yourself, it won't last. But if we're serving Christ... In fact, sometimes I'll sit down and... Um, don't you think Paul sat down sometimes and he said to himself, 
I'm in God's perfect will. Why do I keep, keep getting beaten to the point of death? Why do I keep getting thrown in jail? Why do people keep stabbing me in the back? Why am I going through all these perils? And How many have ever sat down and said, why do I put myself through this? And the answer always comes back quickly because of Him. I love Him so much that I can't give enough. And that's, if it's not that motivation, then you know every time that bell rings, you shouldn't be thinking all these complicated thoughts. It should be, I'm born to serve Christ. That's what I'm gifted to do, and I will. I'll rest when I die. Okay, but I'm here to serve people. You're here to serve people. Number three, priorities. There's a quote that says ninety percent is showing up. That's a high percentage. Yeah, ninety percent. Most of my serving is because I was there. I showed up, <laughs> you know. Ninety percent, I agree with that, is showing up priorities. You know, for years, and I'm I'm using myself as an example because usually it's good, bad, ugly, everything is me as an example. But there were many, many, many years. I'm not saying it's a few nights that I've worked hundred hour weeks. And Sundays, guess where my family was always at? Church. Because I, you say, well, there's more place to serve him than church. I agree. Every night I was at church almost, working 100 hours a week. Sundays I was at church. You know, during my life, somebody calls and I hear that bell go ding, ding. Answer the phone. Go help somebody. Go do something for somebody. Serve him because we're only going to live a little while. We'll rest when we die. Come on, I'm not, that's not just a phrase. I mean it. We'll rest when we die. Why are we not serving? Why does that stupid bell keep dinging and nobody gets up and does it? We've got to get up and answer the bell. Number four, poor examples. Sometimes we grow up with people that say, you know what? Yeah, I go to that church. I go once a month. I go twice a month. You say, well, that's how my parents did it too. Can I tell you something? You had a didn't have a good example. We got a break. That, that's one of the reasons we don't serve is because the example's bad. Church is just not in that important. Serving Christ and being a part of what we're doing. And um, another one is high mindedness. Some families are high minded. You know, that's the example you had was just high minded. Yeah, we don't help people like that. We don't help dirty people. We don't. We don't do that. We don't pour ourselves out to those kind of people. We protect ourselves. Right, how many think there are lots of bad examples of serving? We've got to break those poor examples. Um, position hunters. Selfish. You know, one thing I found um, is a lot of people, they're, um, I may have been too hard on wolves. You know, before I was hard on wolves. I was like, wow, man, they're evil. They're coming in and they're, they're not sparing the flock and they're all bloody and they're, they're ripping the place apart. But you know what? That poor wolf is just doing what he does. He's hungry. I mean, know that. That wolf is just hungry. He's just uh, doing what a wolf does. You know what I'm saying? And, of course, does that mean I'm going to be easy on a wolfish quality in a church? No. But, can I tell you this? A lot of people are in positions because they're power hungry. You know, they go after 
people in the church because they are feeding their bellies. Feeding desires and feeding lusts and feeding things that are, like he said, I wish that there would be no selfish ambition or selfish desires. And so, sometimes we're not able to put the flesh aside. And you say, man, are you compassionate to wolves? I am, yes, because it's so hard for the flesh to be put away to do the work of Christ. And sometimes people are just selfishly feeding their lusts. They're selfishly feeding their bellies. And we've got to make sure that we're aware of that. That One of the reasons we don't serve is because we there are position hunters and those who are desiring to gain for themselves. And boy, if your desire is to gain for yourself, it's hard to serve. You're always, in fact, you know that people use people in church to get what they want. They want power. They want positions. They want people to look at them with, you know, amazement, like, oh, wow, that person's great. They're awesome. Incredible. Tell me more. Tell me more. And, you know, that's what they're after. They want people to look at them and say, that's the next John Wesley. Man, that guy knows the Bible so well. And you understand what I'm saying? That we don't serve sometimes people because we're using them to get what we want. And that's a real block to serving. Lack of commitment. Like, man, you know what? They said, what was it? A pig and a chicken walked by and there was breakfast and it was ham and eggs. And they looked at the sign and, you know, the pig's a whole lot more committed to that breakfast than the chicken is. Oh, you didn't get that. Okay. Pig gave everything for that breakfast. Chicken just laid an egg, right? We lack commitment, you know, sometimes. Sometimes we are afraid. Afraid of the unknown. Afraid to serve. How many have ever been afraid? Man, I don't know. I've never done that before. I've never reached out. I don't have confidence. I have insecurity. And that's a legitimate thing. That's a real thing. Or you go and try to help, and it doesn't go well. Like, I didn't have anything do. They didn't have anything for me to do. I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I had a place. You keep coming, you'll eventually find a place. Okay, I've had all kinds of bad experiences trying to help. Okay, how many here have had lots of bad experiences trying to help and it's just part of serving is, you know, they're not going to come in and roll out a red carpet and say, your position is waiting. I wish it were that way. Sometimes you feel like you want to do that because you want people to um, mountains and valleys. Some people are mountains. They need to be um, lowered in order to be a servant. Some people are valleys. They need to be elevated to be a servant because they're just too down on themselves. They're too insecure. They're too lowly. And we need to lift them up and say, man, you know, you were given a gift for this body and we need your gift as much as anybody's gift. Procrastination. I will serve when things are easier and life is not as hard. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says, verse 4, He who observes the wind will not even sow a seed. He who regards the clouds will not even reap. And you do not know the ways the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. That basically means is somebody is hesitant. They won't do something because they're, um, in this word here, they're observing the wind so they're not going to sow seed. So they say, maybe a better time. And then they're not going to reap because of the clouds. Right? And so there are all these things saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'll wait till a better time. Um, I was just going through the week this week and, and I'm just looking 
you know, this church is going to open in two weeks. And I'm like, man, there's like literally a hundred things that I didn't get done that I had hoped we would. Probably a hundred, I would say. And I realize that I don't have enough hours to do all those things. And I went to a funeral in the middle there. And where's Taylor at? Taylor, beautiful funeral. And while I was there, a friend of mine came and he's, you know, disabled and, you know, and they were struggling and they were in tears and they were like, you know what? We just lost hope in this situation in their life. And you know what I did? Same thing I've been doing my whole life and my wife gets irritated sometimes with me. I said, you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's have some meeting here and try to figure out if we can come up with a solution. I mean, no, this is the worst time in my life to do that. My wife even told me it's the worst time to do that. And you can't do that. And I said, no, God's called me to do it. And can I tell you something, church? There's never been a good time. I haven't had one good time where it looks convenient, it looks like it's the right time, but if that would have stopped me, it would have always stopped me. You know, God will give you the strength in the time of need to meet the needs. And God will, and, and so you just do it. And, and, and I'm going to close with this, something really good. Um, in fact, um, I really intended this to be a sign-up for volunteers today, and just things haven't worked that way. You know, it hasn't worked the way I'd hoped it to work. And God has His hand on it, I know. But we will be having a service here starting the week after our opening at 9 o'clock. And I can tell you that service when we open the other church at 9 a.m. here will be a self serve type of service. It will be, we're here to minister to you. We want to have a Sunday morning service. It's going to be very focused on the body. It's not going to be about serving other people. It's going to be about a 9 o'clock service to focus on us and getting filled with the Holy Spirit, really spending time in His presence. But there, are, the service over at the other building will be an 11 o'clock service and that is a full service service. You say, well, why don't people serve in the nursery? Because if I'm in the nursery, why would I even go to church? Who have ever said that? Be honest with me. Why would I even go to church if I want to spend the whole day in service in the nursery? I want to get filled. I want God to do things in me. And can I tell you something? The moment I came to Christ. In fact, when I was in my early 20s, I was going to four different nursing homes ministering to people with Sister. How many remember Sister Pastor? I don't know how many remember her, but she took me on the nursing home tour every week. And so every week for a good period of time, my wife still says it's one of her favorite ministries. Because, man, that wasn't a waste of my time. That was people that needed to hear from somebody and was dying for somebody to spend time with them. Loved it. Um, you know, one time I went to Promise Keepers in Memphis and we had a group of men and everybody was so pumped up about getting filled with the Spirit of God. I had a friend, Tim here. How many remember Tim? Tim was with me and, and as we were walking in, there was a band of uh, ten atheists that were protesting the 
Promise Keepers 20 years ago in Memphis. Actually, Memphis or Nashville. Memphis, yeah, I remember it was Nashville. And I got talking to him. I missed the whole Promise Keepers because I sat at a restaurant with 10 atheists telling them about Jesus. I said, Tim, will you go with me? And Tim, when we were done, he said, we missed the whole Promise Keepers. I said, I know it. Because can I tell you something? From the moment I came to Christ, it hasn't been about me. It just hasn't been about me. It's about pouring into other people. It's about serving other people. It's about believing in other people. And I want to close with this story because it's a good one and I forgot all about it. But when your attitude is to serve other people, you just look at life different. It's a, there's a joy to serving other people. I was sitting with Eddie the other day eating and forgot, totally forgot about this story, but we were talking about Rodney Goodlett up at the district office and how Rodney used to go around and do school assemblies. And I said, yeah, you know, me and Rodney used to do that together. And, um, and so I remembered this story and it brought so much joy to me. I mean, I was weeping by the time I was done. I couldn't tell the story to Eddie because it brought so much joy to me. But I, um, there was an event in Benton, Kentucky. It's one of the largest basketball tournaments, uh, in the country. It's every major team in the country goes to that tournament and it's like big names. People that are going to be drafted in the NBA come to this tournament. And it's a big deal in Benton, Kentucky. And um, I had a kid in my youth group, and uh, Tanner, you know him, where you at, Tanner? Oh, we're asking, okay. Uh, but a kid named Nick Burton was in my youth group, and and Nick had been almost like my son, you know. He he um, would come to the church, and he would shoot, and we'd spend time together, and and uh, just really got to be so close. He, he visited here once, and uh, he started. Uh, he, he can't use his right hand at all. He has cerebral palsy. And so he taught himself to shoot with his left hand. And so everything he does is with that left hand, cerebral palsy in the right. And uh, we'd sit there for hours shooting free throws. And he got to where he could almost hit a hundred straight free throws. Just shooting. And then he started going to half court shooting half court shots. He started shooting a really high percentage, over 50% from half court. And then he started going backwards at half court with that left hand shooting them backwards and making them. And then he started going to the free throw line on the other side, shooting them from there and making them. And then he would do them backwards from the free throw line on the other side. And so anyway, I believe in people. And I can't tell you how many times I sat there with game day telling him how good he is. I believe in you. You are good. Shooting the ball with him over and over and over. And, and he started, how many have ever seen him around town? He's done half court shows for years around this area. Every high school game. His name is game day Burton. He's been on the news many times. And so we were up at camp together. He was, he was 17 years old. And, um, because I believe in Him. This is what God wants. This is why we serve people. We believe in people. And can I tell you the joy of believing in people and serving people? I can't tell you how many people I've seen come off of drugs, come off of alcohol, come off of the street, come all out of homelessness, go into a good, better life because of the fact that you got serving is all about believing in people. No matter who they are, you've got to believe in people. 
And so I told Rodney, I said, Rodney, man, he's got a gift. He's got a gift, man. I said, man, I could use him. He, he needs to go on tour with me to do these school events all over, all over the state of Kentucky. And so Rodney took him, and Rodney would give a testimony about how his dad left him when he was a kid. And then he'd go shoot free throws, and they'd pull anybody out of the stands to shoot against him. And he'd always win. He'd always outshoot anybody they got. And then they would start giving a testimony about how his dad left him because he had cerebral palsy and he just didn't have a chance at life. And then he would, then he would shoot from three-point line and they would challenge people nobody could beat him. And then they would start talking about how he found Christ. And then he'd start doing half-court shots and then he'd turn backwards and start shooting them backwards. And, and so anyway, I, I tell this to tell this story. Through Rodney doing the school events, these people at this giant tournament found out about him. So they call me, I turn out to be his manager. And so they call me and they say, hey, we want him to come up and do these big tournaments, you know, big televised tournaments. And I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. And so we walk in, we did 10 different half times at this big tournament. And I find myself sitting in the stands and I noticed this little kid, he was 18 years old, I believe, 17 or 18. And he was sitting by the front and he had spina bifida. How many have ever seen a person with spina bifida? And he's just all curled up. And I can tell you, can I tell you something? My natural inclination is that's who I'm sitting with. I mean, that's my guy for the day. And so I sat next to him. And we just, I mean, he, what a, what a great kid. He was really poor. He had no money. His family was with him. They were, I mean, when you talk about poor up near the mountains of Kentucky and different places in Kentucky, we don't know what poor is around here, but he was really poor. And he was twisted up in a chair. And, and I tell you something, that kid was the happiest kid. I mean, he was so full of joy and so happy. And we were just having a good time. And, you know, I mean, I, I love the kid. And all of a sudden over the speaker, it says, um, it says that a name has been picked for the halftime, and it was that kid. And every halftime they would shoot a free, or layup, a free throw, a three pointer, and a half court shot. And if you do it in 30 seconds, you win a thousand dollars. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, they picked my name. But he had spina bifida. I'm just telling you the joy of serving other people and not taking things for yourself. And sometimes you remember faces. And you know, I remember seeing failure in his face. How many times do you think he's failed in life? You know, I could just see it in his eyes. It hurt me to see it. And I said, man, can you, uh, have you made a layup before? He said, I have. I said, can you do it in five or six thousand? What was it, five thousand? Or six thousand, five or six thousand people. I'm gonna read you the article in a second. But there were five or six thousand people there. I said, "Can you make that layup?" 
said, I don't know. I said, man, I think you can make that layup. I said, if you can make that layup, we can win $1,000. I said, I believe in you, man. I believe you can make that layup. He said, I can make it. And he got really bold. He knew somebody believed in him. So I can make that layup. So that's all I need. So I went to the people that ran it because I knew them because they had hired game day to do the halftime shows. You know, so he was up after this thing. He was up to do his show. And so I knew the guys that ran it and the guy that ran it. How many have ever heard of Jeff Shepard here in Kentucky? He led Kentucky to a national championship in 1998. He was the most valuable player on that team and, and they won a national title and somebody I knew real well from Kentucky basketball but got to know really well from this event. And uh, so we had been hanging around all weekend and talking a lot. And I said, Jeff, I said, come here. I said, this is the kid whose name they pick randomly. And he looked at him and he said, well, can he do it? And I said, he can make layups. I said, but uh, I need help. I said, I need somebody to make the free throw from the three-pointer because I got a guy that can make a half-court shot. And so I pulled game day aside. Now remember, I'm dealing with a kid that has cerebral palsy and spina bifida. And we're going to win $1,000. Talking about believing in people. The lowest of the low, God has such big plans for everybody in this world. You've got to believe in people and serve them like you believe in them. So I go to Jeff and I said, can you make the free throw on the layup? And Jeff was the least certain of all of them. He said, that's a lot of pressure, Jeff. But I think I can. Remember, he led Kentucky to the national championship and hit free throws that were huge in front of millions of people. And he said, I think I can. And I said, well, let's do it. I said, he can make the layup. Game day can make the half-court shot. I said, no, we're all counting on you. you got to do it. And game day said, I'll make that half-court shot. Listen to the story. I want you to know it's called, there was a guy there from ESPN named Scoop Jackson. He was a big writer for ESPN at the time. And he's watching this happen. He's watching five or 6,000 people in the stands. He sees a kid with spina bifida roll out on the court. And the announcer says, people around there knew him because he was, they would give him free tickets to the games because he was so poor. He pulls out to the middle and they say his name and said, he is the one that we chose for the $1,000 challenge. And people are like, you can just hear the whole crowd go, what? And he's going to have some assistance from Jeff Shepard and Game Day Burton. And nobody left at halftime. You know how unusual that is in a place with five or 6,000 people that nobody leaves at halftime? And so here, I want to read this story. This was in ESPN at the time. It says, or December the 9th, 2008, there is this kid in a wheelchair. He doesn't want for much. He always rolls around with a smile on his face and a basketball on his lap. The kid's family does not have much money. And that's an understatement. But like so many Americans in the wake of the financial meltdown, they aren't outwardly complaining. They're just struggling with pride. 
at a basketball tournament during halftime of one of the ten games taking place on this day that many say is the greatest day in high school basketball. A kid wills himself out on the court. The mission, make four shots, a layup, a free throw, a three-pointer, and a shot from half court in 30 seconds to win $1,000. It's near impossible task that's been going on all night and nobody has gotten past the three-pointer. That's how hard it is. How impossible it is. But the kid in the chair does not have to make all of the shots himself. He does not have to, he only, he just has to make the first one. The other three shots are the responsibility of two other people. Now the story is not about the kid in the wheelchair, a young man named Brock Etheridge who has spina bifida. It's not even about Jeff Shepard, the former University of Kentucky sharpshooter, who was on board to shoot the free throw and the three-pointer. The story is about the guy who's going to shoot the half-court shot. His name is Nick Burton. Around these parts, he's known as Game Day. He's a left-handed 18-year-old who apparently shot 45% from half-court in high school whenever he had time to practice. The fact that Nick is left-handed is only mentioned because he has no use of his right hand or arm. By the way, the title of this is The Audacity of Joy. Game Day, you see, has cerebral palsy. Earlier in the day, Game Day put on a little show for the crowd. Assisted by his manager, Chad Ricketts, Game Day went 8 for 18 on half-court shots. At one point, he sank five in a row. Then he had the nerve to turn around and sink one with his back to the basket. Tossing the ball underhanded, it took him five attempts to get one of those to drop. But in the seven years Game Day's been doing this, he's never made it in in one try. It's all been fun for him, a joy. But this is where the joy has stopped because knowing how bad the kid in the wheelchair and the family would use the money, game day made the kid a promise. I told him, I will hit that shot one time. I will hit it. I will not let you do. Burton said, I've never hit my first shot, game day said. I've never done it in one try. But I couldn't tell that kid that. I've never had this much pressure on me to make a shot. I've taken over a thousand shots, but never one like this. I prayed. I prayed with the young man before we went out there. How does somebody who has a lifetime disability find the way to fill the need to do something for someone else? How does someone with full use, without full use of the right side of his body make an impossible promise, make an impossible shot for someone who has a more debilitating handicap than his own? And no, he's in no emotional position to have his heart broken, especially when that promise is made by someone he wishes he could be. He wishes he could walk in literally his shoes. So the clock starts, and I want you to picture this. The kid in the wheelchair quickly rolls to the basket, tosses in a perfect layup off the glass. Hear that? How do you think he felt? I just, I, I can still see it in my mind. He rolled up in a perfect, Layup off the glass from a kid with spina bifida. Spina bifida twists your body up in a million ways. Shepard grabs the ball out of the net, runs back to the free throw line, release, swish. He grabs the ball out of the net, runs back to the three point line, release, miss. Jeff Shepard was the only one that missed a shot. <laughs> He was nervous. He didn't think he could do it, but we tried to give him confidence. 
but he missed the first three-pointer, made the second, grabs the ball, runs back to the three-point line, release miss, 15 seconds, he runs faster, grabs the rebound, fires the back from the three-point line, adjusts his feet and shoulders, release and swish. Immediately grabs the ball as it falls through the net. 5,500 people are now standing and screaming. I can still see the scene. Everybody standing, nobody leaves. They're screaming in what only can be described as subtle hysteria. Everybody's hoping this kid wins. If there is such a thing, he tosses the ball to game day, who is standing near exactly in the middle of the court. As the ball comes to him, Burton steps into the pass, four seconds left, with the same form he's developed over years inside the Mount Vernon Indiana High School gym where he nurtured his gift as a craft. He releases the ball quickly after it touches his hand. One shot from the kid with a disability for another kid with a disability. The wherewithal of someone with a disability to see someone else's situation and realize that he could, with God's help, do something to make that other person happy, to make someone else's life better just by making the shot. The audacity of joy. All game day could say afterwards as he wiped tears from his eyes, was, I kept my promise. That kid, I kept my promise. Hallelujah. Church, can I tell you something? I, in my mind, in fact, there's a video still from ESPN on it. Um, I can remember Jeff Shepard grabbed a game day after he hit that shot like it was a national championship. He picks him up on his shoulders and he's running. Everybody in the crowd's crying. I've never seen anything like it. They're bawling. Kid with spina bifida, I'm grabbing him and holding him. He's got a thousand dollars in his hand, holding it up in his fist. Family's going crazy. They also gave game day a thousand dollars. And so both of them have a wad of cash in their hand. And can I tell you something? Life doesn't always happen that way. So, so many times we serve and there's just no return like that. When it happens, when it happens, I mean, when you see somebody struggling with depression and because you took the time to help them and serve them, and you can pull them out of the depression. You see somebody that's drug addicted, you'll finally beat the addiction. When you see somebody who doesn't have a place to stay, finally has a place to stay. When you see somebody with serious problems, and you can help them through it. When you serve people, when you see people that have things that they feel hopeless about, it makes the serving worth it. You may walk away with a thousand knives in your back. In fact, I'm not going to say it might happen. It will. I get scolded all the time because I just keep believing in people. I keep believing in people. And my wife says, why do you keep making the same mistake? Because we have to serve people. Because that is the example that we have. We have to keep moving forward. We have to keep correcting. All those things that keep us from serving isn't good people don't have it and bad people do. We all have to fight through the things that keep us from serving. But we cannot stop serving. We can't be a self-filling station. We've got to be a ding-ding who he needs saved. Let's answer the bell. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Stand your feet. Worship team.
Lord, we love You. Lord, we're so thankful that we can be in You. And Lord, in You is where all of these promises are. Not in us, but in You, Lord God. And I pray that You transform us. Help us to serve with all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our heart. Everything that we have, Lord God, to the very last day. Lord, let us just bury it in the fertile soil of our home church, Lord, and in our lives. For You, and only You, Lord. Lord, uh, put Your Spirit upon Your people and touch their hearts, Lord. In Your name I pray. Amen. I'm just going to let you have a quiet time with the Lord. We'll, I'll close after a few minutes. But just find a place with the Lord. I'll move my pulpit out of the way. the dream church that we made together. The plan is there. This is lots of prayer, lots of tears, everything that we need to do to reach the world around us, meet the needs of the people around us. It is here and we have the amount of people to accomplish our dream church now. We have the funding. It's all there. 
building is there. The plan is there. Do you know what we're missing? The servant's heart. We need servants that are full service. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. Somebody stop running over that annoying bell. step up and say, you know what? I give myself fully children's ministry. Chad, I'm behind you on this. I'm 100% behind you. I don't like you. I don't like your haircut. I don't like the way you wear black and khaki pants, black shirt and khaki pants all the time. I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you sound. But I'm 100% behind you. That makes me happy. Like, I'm not looking for people like me. I'm not even crazy about myself. Though. Man, we've got to have servant hearts where we say it's for Him, for His glory, it's for His kingdom, it's for people right now that don't have hope that we believe in. So that's what I need people that are 100% behind this. I said, you know what? I don't even behind it, but I'm committed. I want to do this. Let's be self-serve here. Let's try it for three months. You say, man, I'll do that. Chad, I will sign up to help you. And I will be a servant of servants. Three months, I'll test you out on that. And you tell me at the end of three months what service is going to Serving people or getting filled yourself. I know what the answer for me is. God did something to me when those 6,000 people were standing on their feet. I mean, no, you do service work your whole life and you serve people and you never hear people like celebrate like that. Like people crying and 6,000 people cheering. I've never seen a sporting event that was that crazy. And this kid with cash going off the court. And, and God told me, he said, you know what? I said, God, what if, what if it were like that? What if every time we did something good for the kingdom, people would just stand up and cry and go crazy and be like, you know what? You helped that person who was in need. And he said they do. The Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses. And it says all of heaven celebrates when there's one that returns to Christ. And I think there is a celebration bigger than those 6,000 people that are crying and they're in heaven and they're constantly cheering. They're constantly crying. Our old pastor is up there saying, yes, yes, keep serving. Give up your pride. Give up these things. Keep on going after God and they're celebrating and they're saying, we did it, we did it, we did it. And guess what happens when we walk in the gates? There's going to be a major celebration. There's going to be a major judgment seat of Christ as a celebration and awards are given and people are cheering. And if you don't hear that 6,000 people crying and cheering, it's because your ears are not open to heaven. And you'll never hear that in a self-serving church. You only hear that when you see people coming to Christ, when you see people's lives being changed, when you see people pulled out of the gutter, when you see people who genuinely see a church that has the humility of Christ in it. That's where you'll see that. Not a self-serving church.